0: Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Now, you've heard me say this before, many of you have, but uh, it's a truism that vision leaks. And what I'm talking about when I say that is that the vision for why we do a thing, you know, the, the purpose behind why we do what we do in any situation can get lost over time very easily because we just get involved in the doing of the thing. You know, I have long ago lost track of the vision for why I mow my lawn. I just do it because it needs doing. I'm sure someplace in the back recesses of my, of my mind there's a vision for that, but I lost it a long time ago. It leaked out. Now it's just a chore. Almost anything that we do in life, that can happen to it if we're not careful. Vision leaks. And God, I think, would rather us not have that happen to our vision for why we are uh, gathered together as a church family. We have a vision that is, I believe, God-breathed, God-given to our congregation for why we exist. You might want to ask yourself the question, just rhetorically. I mean, you don't have to actually talk to yourself, but rhetorically ask yourself the question, Why am I here today? Why am I part of this outfit called Crossroads, if you are? We need to recover regularly the reason why, the vision behind it. And so every year or about every 18 months, somewhere between 12 and 18 months, I will take a few weeks with our congregation without apology to talk about um, these things, why we are together, and what it is about crossroads that makes us unique, you know, look at the person on your right and left, and you will imma- imme- you will immediately see that God is quite creative <laughs> and he doesn 't make us he doesn 't create people with a rubber stamp you know he 's not just stamping them out. he is infinitely creative, and that 's true with his church there are You know, I don't even want to think about how many churches there are around the world. That's a glorious fact, and not one of them is the same as another because our God is creative and reaching a world with his gospel. And there's no way to do that with just one type of church. So it's important for us not to just get into the habit of doing things as a church, having men's and women's ministries and children's ministries and things like that, Sunday morning services, worship times, all good, all wonderful. But we've got to be careful we aren't just doing those things because that's what churches do. We have to make sure we don't let vision leak. I've been, well, I'm, I'm an old guy, and you know, I've been in the church a very long time. I've known Christ for a very long time. I've been a pastor over 30 years. And let me just tell you, from my vantage point, it's something I have got to uh, frequently, periodically, reset the compass of what I'm doing and why to true north again. You know, I bought, when we were on vacation, I bought a watch, nothing special, Casio. But I bought this watch, and it was not uh, it, the time wasn't right. wasn't set on it. It was running, but it you know needed to be reset. And besides that, uh, it was set for a different time zone. And uh, so I had to reset my watch. And there's something about the compass, the watch of my soul, that needs to be periodically reset in the presence of God, so that my life is focused on what He's focused on. I think you get the point. But that's what we're going to do together for the next few weeks. Is visit again. What are the some of the powerful, uh, potent passages. That was pretty good. Powerful, potent passages. <laughs> that God has given to us as a congregation that underlines underly, underlays the, uh, our church life foundationally. And we're going to be looking at some of those visionary things. We have... You know, as most organizations, we have a vision statement, we have a mission statement, we have a value statement. And if you've been a part of anything, a company, a fraternal organization, a social club, you know that you know these things are part of what makes up an organization. In fact, when I worked for Cisco Systems, I used to have to have around my neck, along with my ID badge, I used to have to have... Carry with me a copy of our vision, mission, and value statements on my neck. So I understand what that is. And pretty soon all of that sort of blurs together and it doesn't it becomes kind of meaningless after a while. And so I'm not going to be throwing at you mission statements, vision statements, value statements. But I do come back to every year when we do this, I do come to one or more of those um, things that are our bedrock to our understanding of what God has called us to do as a church family. And for the record, we're going to be talking this next few weeks about values, things that are just uh, bedrock, unassailable values for Crossroads Foursquare Church. And if you could gather it all up into one phrase, it'd be the one that's on the screen right now. It's not about us. Now, I understand that when people are, in fact, I was talking with someone before the service started today that's in the process of church shopping. How many of you ever had to do that? It's a very challenging, hard thing to do, especially if you're looking for a church that you've been like, what you've been a part of before, that you really loved. You can't find that church again somewhere else it's not duplicated exactly anywhere and so it's a tough challenging thing and I don't I'm really I told the person I was talking to before the service I'm glad I don't have to church shop (laughs) because it's a it's a challenging thing but I understand when you're in that place and you're feeling like the or you're just a person who is feeling like the Lord is drawing you to himself and you figure well if I'm going to get close to where God is I ought to go to a church someplace maybe that's why you're here today in any case, I understand that you're kind of initially evaluating what's going on in terms of how it's affecting you. Is what that bald-headed guy standing up there saying? Does it resonate with my soul? Am I caught up in in some uh, wondrous way in the presence of the Lord when the worship team is is doing their thing? Do they have uh, ministries for my children or my uh, teens? Uh, is there? You know, These kinds of things are being evaluated, and that's entirely appropriate. But at some point, it has to make a change from being where I am. I am the object of what's going on to I am here for others. It's not about me. You know, when I pulled in the parking lot over here on the west side of our building this morning, I started to go to the place where I park during the week because my office is over in there, and so that's where I normally park. And I, so I started pulling in, and I realized, oh, wait a minute. It's not about me. Someone else could use this spot. And then I, I backed out and pulled down to where I normally park, which is on Sundays, which is way out there in the North 40, you know. And uh, without complaint, by the way. I just It's just, you know, we're, ha- we're habitually people of habit. We, our habit has to do with our comfort and our, um, you know, what's what we think is best for us. So it's a paradigm shift that God brings us to when we come into his family where it's not about me anymore. You know this, right? In fact, we've said this before. If if Jesus, I mean, really, what's the point? Why are you still here? (laughs) If you're a Christian, why are you still here? Why didn't God just kill you and take you to heaven? (laughs) Right? (laughs) That was kind of, (laughs) <laughs> that was rough. <laughs> but I mean, really, seriously. We're here because we have an assignment. There is a world to be saved, a world that Jesus loves, people that he died for that are yet lost, that don't yet know him. He's left us here to be partners with him in the gathering in of a global harvest. So we got to at some point get over this thing that it's about me. It isn't. It's not. So let's, I ran away with myself there. Let's get to this passage. I told you we were going to read this thing, and we are. (laughs) Chapter 5 of Luke, verse 17. Now, it happened on a certain day as he was teaching, Jesus is teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Listen, if somebody told me Jesus was in town today in, in the flesh, I'd be there. Wouldn't you? If Jesus was teaching, I'd be there. I'd be there in the front row if I could get there. And that's what's happening here. They've come from everywhere. These scribes, Pharisees, teachers of the law, because they want to hear what Jesus has to say. In some cases, they want to be impacted by what he's uh, teaching. In other cases, they want to scrutinize what he's teaching. Either way, it has to do with them. Their uh, resistance to it or their embrace of it. In any case, it has to do with them. And the house is full of people who, who are there for that reason. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. This is an amazing thing. Jesus was there teaching, and everybody that we're told is there at this point is there for the receiving of something. But Jesus said he was there to give something. He was there to give something they didn't expect, they weren't looking for. He was there to change their lives. The power of God was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him, Jesus. And when they couldn't find a way or couldn't find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, so the the house is packed to the gills, they can't get their friend in to Jesus, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, the man who was paralyzed, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. That's probably not what the man's friends were hoping would happen. They were probably hoping that Jesus would heal their friend. Nonetheless, Jesus says, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And then this theological debate erupts among the the religious people and the scribes and Pharisees begin to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? How or who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise up and walk. I ask you that question, which is easier? Which is easier for Jesus, to forgive sins or to heal sick bodies. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Now he's tying these what he's about to do to what he's already said. So that you know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. Then he turns to the man who was paralyzed and says, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Jesus coupled these two things together. I've come to forgive sins. And I've come to heal what's broken in your lives. That's what I'm here for. Not for the theological debate. Look, I have no, I carry no brief in, in, uh, uh, for anything but the best of Theology. But sometimes it can get in the way of what Jesus is there to do. To save and to heal and to deliver. Immediately he rose up before them, took what he'd been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, when it says fear, it means reverence, awe, wonder. They are saying, we have seen strange things today. In this passage, there, this is to me one of the foundational things, uh, foundational passages of scripture to my understanding of church and what church ministry ought to be. And I'm going to just talk to you about four things in brief this morning that, it's gonna, that we're going to revisit in depth over the next few weeks. So this is sort of an outline of where we're going for the next few weeks. But in this passage, we see two different kinds of people. As I said, we see the people that are there for themselves and what they can get out of Jesus' teaching. And we see some guys that are there for their friend and how they could connect him with the one who could meet his needs. And they clearly, Jesus makes makes the point that what they're there to do is what's resonating with his heart. Now, the first thing I want you to see out of this passage that's important for us as a congregation, as we reset, once again, our compass to true north in terms of what the Lord has called us to do, is that we are captivated by the presence of the power of God to change lives. These four guys could think of nothing else. Look, we are goners. We are captured by the power of God to change lives. I'm I'm lost, folks. I'm gone. I'm over the moon with the power of God to change lives. He's changed mine. He's changed many of you, and I've been able to be an eyewitness as this incredible story unfolds in your life of, of God at work. It's amazing. And we cannot afford to ever let the wonder of that, the power of that, the overwhelming glory of that get away from us. It must be that Crossroads Four Square Church is forever goners, bonkers for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we know if we could get our friend close to Jesus, their life would be changed just like ours have been. The second thing that we see in this story is that these guys were concerned for those in the circles of their influence. Crossroads Four Square Church, is, it's not about us. We are concerned for those in the circles of our influence. We've talked about this a lot, I know, and it won't be the last time you hear us talk about circles of influence. In fact, I've been re- listening to the messages that Chris uh, brought while I was away on vacation, and I know he talked about this too. Good job, man. <laughs> You have a circle of influence. That's a hard one for most of us to grasp, but it is true. There are people watching your life. Friends, neighbors, family members. They're looking to see if what you proclaim has has, uh, transformed your life, the love of God, that Jesus Christ has changed. They're looking to see if that change is real or if this is just another passing fad along your life's journey. And sometimes the perverse thing is that sometimes they will oppose your confession. They will oppose your faith for the purpose of seeing if they can undermine what you claim to be the truth about your life. Because if they can, then they don't have to deal with it. But deep in their hearts, they long for you to be able to stand, withstand their assault so that they can have what you have. I don't want to lose sight. I don't want to lose my concern for those in the circles of my influence. I don't know how to define that very well. But there are people that are looking at your life. They, Like I said, they may be in your family. They may be, they certainly are. They may be at places that you frequent. It may be the people that you share uh You know, office space or cubicle space with where you work. I remember when I was working outside the church and I was in a cubicle environment that I really staked out a geography. I considered if you were so many cubes away from me within that sphere, you were part of my circle of influence and I took that seriously. In my mind every day I'd pray down those rows for the names of those people because I considered them part of my circle of influence. You know that I I've staked out my in fact I took Dave there this morning the Starbucks in my neighborhood and I know every single one of the baristas there and I pray for them when I walk in the door just like I did this morning they don't know that but I know they know me and they know I'm a pastor and you know I'm a Christian and that that's a part of my circle of influence one that I had Yesterday got really busted by Jesus over for neglecting um, was my neighbors It's not a mistake that Sue and I live at nine forty one Prospect Avenue. Don't advertise that fact i don't <laughs> want to have people showing up in the middle of the night anyway <clears throat> it's not a mistake we live there. Oh yeah we had you know we went through all of the all of the effort to buy that house, so to speak, signing you know your Firstborn children away and all that kind of stuff, but, but God put us there on purpose. You realize that you realize that if God is God, then He has placed you where you are in every one of your life's venues on purpose. If that's not true, He's not God. So you kind of have to, to decide, you know. <laughs> If he's God, I think you'd agree with me that he is, then these other areas of our life's venue, they're not, that's not a mistake. Anyway, we were out with Dave and Linda yesterday, went to the city, and on the way home, we pulled into the back, uh, to the alleyway that goes into our garage, and our neighbors got all this junk just sitting out there, spent out there for a year. Old mattresses, and junk, I mean, ugh. And so I started to talk to them about the knuckleheads that live next door. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're college students, they're Maritime Academy. So they're, they're sailors, basically. And uh, they have some interesting things that they, they do. Like one thing, they have this, they have this, la- this rickety homemade ladder thing that, where they climb out the window on the second floor... And then they they go up this ladder to the top, to the roof of the second floor. I mean, it's way the hunk and heck up there. And up there, they've got these lounge chairs. (laughs) And who knows what they do up there? I don't want to know. Anyway, I was telling them about the knuckleheads next door. And we walked in the house. And man, I, I got sent to the woodshed by Jesus over that. Those aren't knuckleheads to him. We sang a song earlier about Jesus when he went to the cross. You took the fall and thought of me above all. When he was dying on that cruel cross, he was thinking about my neighbors. And Bro, I needed to change my attitude and quick. We have circles of influence, precious people that are watching our lives because they are hungry. Whether they know how to articulate it or not, whether they're conscious of it or not, they're hungry for what only Jesus can offer them. And you and I are his hands and feet. You know that it's been, this is trite almost to say because you've heard it surely before. But for many people, you are the only Bible that they'll ever read your life. And we as a congregation, we cannot ever lose this concern that Jesus means for us to have for those in the circles of our lives influence. We also are convinced of the value and blessing of doing church as a team. Listen, in this church, there's going to be, you already know this, there's lots of churches in our area where what happens on the platform is a heck of a lot more, can I say heck in church? I'm sorry if I just just did that, but anyway. It's a whole lot more polished, more, you know, uh, professional in every way than what will ever happen on this platform. And that's not to take anything away from any of the The wonderful team members that serve us in worship, their musicianship or their dedication or devotion. But we've decided that that is not our focus to put on this platform the most polished kind of ministry that can happen. We've decided that this is God's calling for us is to be a group of people who together serve him. Now, I mentioned earlier in the service that we have amassed an arsenal of swords and and daggers and stuff that, don't ask me why, but they give them out to us when we go to the Iron Sharpens Iron conferences. And there are some guys that want me to put them, you know, they're proud of them, and I understand that, and they want me to put them on display somewhere in the building here. But I just always think that's kind of weird. What if you showed up here your first Sunday and there's all this weaponry there? (laughs) I don't know. It seems a little odd to me, so I've never done that, and they're, they're stored away up there. <laughs> we went upstairs for prayer before the service, and some of the guys were playing with the swords again. And so, you know, <laughs> how did I get on that? Oh, I know. We, um, <laughs> I am so grateful to God for the the value of, of serving that he has allowed to take deep root in our congregations because we are called to be a team. And though I'm not going to put all of those swords on display in some sort of a display case around here, we do have a trophy case. It's right down that hall on a bulletin board where the names of uh, scores of people who serve in this congregation are listed. That's my proudest piece of real estate in this biz- in this building, is right down that hallway. When our worship team members, when our children's ministry workers, when our ushers, when our greeters, when our coffee team, when our... Uh, microchurch leaders and our microchurch hosts and our AV team, when, when we're doing what God has called us to do, when all of that is being orchestrated by God, the potential of what can happen in terms of ministry is so far greater than what we could ever have if we were a platform focused. I am so delighted at this stage of my life to be able to be part of this great hallelujah hallelujah that is a part of what God has called us to be lastly we are committed to employing creative approaches to ministry these guys think about it first of all I kind of dropped the ball on this point but those guys they could not have gotten their friends to Jesus if they didn't work together right so that's where we got that thing from but think about this now. They were unwilling to be stopped by the circumstances that confronted them. They got to the door. They didn't go, oh, well, I guess you're going to have to just live with your, your uh, crippled condition because we can't get in. They thought outside the box. Let me tell you, it would have never occurred to me to climb the roof like those mm-hmm, next door at my, at my house. <laughs> It would have never occurred to me to tear the roof off to drop, but these guys were undaunted. They were so convinced of the power of God that was present to heal their body, to change their lives, that they didn't let anything stop them. So, you know, when it comes to things like, well, we can't afford to do that, around here we say, so what? <laughs> we're going to find a way. I could, I could go through with you chapter by chapter by chapter in the history of this congregation where, I mean, there's never, look, there's never been and there never will be a day when our church council meets and we say, well, we just have all this money. I wonder what we should do with it. <laughs> that day will never come. What we do is we say, God, what is it that you want us to do? And he'll say, I want you to do this. And we'll go, really? Really? And then we watch as he does this amazing stuff. And that's just one aspect of things. Look, your friends, your family, there's not one size that fits all. There's not one particular type of ministry that's going to be going to reach every single person. So we're going to be a people who do some things that work and some that don't. But we're going to try lots of stuff. Are you with me on that? We are people who are captivated by the presence of the power of God to change lives, concerned for those in the circles of our influence, convinced of the value and blessing of doing church as a team, and committed to employing creative approaches to ministry. And if I'm speaking for you when I say that, would you stand with me? This is recording number 11121 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, September 7, 2014. This is the first message in a series by Randy Bolt titled, It's Not About Us. This message is titled, Introduction.